Hey, this is Last Coffee House. I'm going to try desperately to keep this thing from ballooning out like all the rest of them have been doing. So this is the Jordan Peterson reading list. Who are you? We ask again. And Carl Rogers kind of tries to answer here. This is On Becoming a Person by Carl R. Rogers. He's the founder of Humanistic Psychology Movement. I don't have him here today or anything like that. I think he died in the late 80s. <laughs> but uh, we've got his book. So we know some of what he thought. He pioneered the client-centered therapy method. And this book was published in 1995. Now, we did not like his other book. It was a kind of hippie screed. So, uh, but this one is significantly better by means of humility where we don't know the answers and trying to leverage evidence and argument in areas as opposed to just kind of generally saying a whole bunch of nonsense. So, this one's much better than that. And there... It's definitely a niche, philosophically, that needed to be filled when it comes to psychology and therapy. It just needed to be filled, so you can't give him too much of a, a headache for it, although we will tear it apart as we go along. The content of this book. The big phrase that is apparently associated with, we read in the first book, but it comes up here a lot, unconditional positive regard is something the therapist is supposed to do in regards to their patient, unconditional positive regard. You're supposed to meet on an equal ground as opposed to be the one who's the arbiter of knowledge. And he points out that reciprocity and altruism are a different strategy for humans. Not just the kind of thing that we normally think about what humans do, but they use things like reciprocity and altruism as a strategy. The imposition of authority is like the worst thing that you can do, so don't impose authority. And radical equality. A lot of this is developed during the Cold War, and it's all sound super socialistic or communistic or whatever, but quite obviously any idea may or may not be correct or the best, no matter what label you decide to append to it. He recounts this time where he, he um, talked to people about religion, you know, people who had a different religious view, and he said that in those engagements he realized that people can have different opinions on something that's really complex and important, and they could be sincere. You can still have a constructive relationship between those people even if you have those very important different beliefs. He got a position at Ohio State and he starts developing these treatments centered around the patient and ideas about how it's really important for the patient to be able to express the unique in yourself and decided that humans have a basically positive direction. So the big argument that we kind of run into is that people don't need their dangerous nature to be tamed by therapy, but they're actually great and just need to be more themselves, and that's what needs to be facilitated when it comes to therapy. The therapists themselves have to be more genuine, they have to be in touch with their feelings. The more acceptance and liking, the better in general. When it comes to acceptance of the patient and liking the patient is better. And the patient needs to be prized as a person. So he talks about some research, you know, a lot of some research based on ideas of acceptance and egalitarianism and rejection and how less acceptance is regarded as a threat. And certain words can be reinforcing of certain ideas when you're in the when you're trying to treat a patient, and re-emphasizes the unconditional positive regard. He's got a speech at Caltech that he gave in here. It talks about the objective knowledge around all these areas. So trying to actually rigorously understand and figure out whether these answers are the the right answers to all these questions, and offers some conditions of psychological growth. It says that knowledge is is tentative which we always, you know, appreciate when somebody exhibits humility when it comes to their very important ideas or the ideas that are important to them. So he says the knowledge around this is tentative, so we have to really look into it. 
It goes into some case studies like Mrs. Oak, who looked at her psyche as being a bunch of puzzle pieces she's trying to fit together. And talks about letting material come into awareness without taking it for the self. And the difference between what he's advocating here, Rogers advocating, and transference and reverse transference, which can happen when a therapist is treating a patient. They will just impose their own personality or ideas onto the patient, or you'll have the patient impose theirs onto, onto the therapist, rather than it being an organic flowering of the inside self. Ideas that need to be arrived at, for Mrs. Oak at least, and well, for all the patients, I think he would say, is I'm worthy of being liked and liking yourself, come to like, enjoy, and appreciate herself, and ideas about how cooperation is most basic in humans, and even though she had a vengeful inclination, so we talk about these negative things that come up that would seem to be suggestive of the things that need to be tamed in humanity. But she has a vengeful inclination and really it's just the surface and when you look under that it has the antisocial tendencies are really about deep hurt as opposed to something else. Then there's this guy, his big goal was to become himself and how we need to be open to the experience of the organism, him being the organism. You have to be open to your experience as an organism. And big idea here about the person being a process, not a product. This will come back over and over again. The author has confidence in the human organism when it's free. He goes into cultural uh, meanings given to life and, and how those are different and the same when you look at them. And then kind of goes into this idea of when you're trying to figure out what the self actually is, the client tends to move away from what he is not, away from oughts from the outside, away from demands from parents, away from shame about oneself, away from expectations that come from the outside just in general. The person can experience all the feelings like anger and all that stuff and it's fine. And ultimately, Rogers says that this will lead to a constructive harmony as opposed to an unleashing of the beast. Then he just jumps a shark, a crazy Russian shark, uh, to talk about how this would be great for general geopolitics and dealing with the Russians, how we just need to be the nation we truly are and open to foreign powers. And it's rewarding to be what one deeply is as an entire nation. So there's a thought. I mean, I guess it logically follows if you think this is the best way to deal with one person who is having some anxiety issues, then why not just export it to the entirety of the geopolitical landscape, but okay. Optimal therapy, unconditional self-worth, important, no facade, no homeostasis for good life. It's, it's a moving thing. It's a process. Live life fully in each moment, and what I will be grows out of the moment. And all this stuff, so this is one of the most frustrating parts of it, because it becomes so frayed at the edges that it kind of loses its standing as a distinct argument. Because right now he's talking about, okay, the self is a process, it's not a target, it's not something that you land on, it's a process, it's continuing. And what I am, or what I will be, grows out of experience. And experience <laughs> involves all sorts of things that come from the outside. So where is the demarcation between what is self and what is self in process, and what is from the outside, and therefore the unnatural bits that need to be carved away to make sure you understand who the self is? There's, there's a lot of questionable stuff going on. But you're supposed to trust the total organismic reaction. <laughs> Do what feels right. And he says that overall, people will want to appeal to people in kind of a positive way more than they'll want to be aggressive with other people. And says, ooh, this is a big one. Man's behavior is exquisitely rational. What is that? Okay. 
Therapist acceptance of a patient correlates heavily with the patient acceptance of self. Now, all these, I mean, these are such broad topics. It's really difficult. But like I said, the guy shows humility and he goes through and says, here are all these studies. Here are where we have to be careful about how we're overstepping this. These are my ideas about it. So it's more laying out a theory rather than rigorously establishing the theory. It's laying the theory out, offering some evidence and support, and allowing the reader or whoever's evaluating it to really make an evaluation. So... I mean, you can't be too mad at it. <laughs> so client-centered therapy, again, goes over a whole bunch of studies. He's trying to figure it out objectively. There's no idea of success or failure in this mode, but he wants to more widely apply it, you know, not just to the person in, in an individual therapy session, but to society at large, to education, all that sort of thing. There was one study that uh, apparently showed that the frustration threshold was higher after therapy. And I can't remember all the details. There's something about numbers where you had to remember numbers until you couldn't. And people were more frustrated if they hadn't gone through therapy versus when they had. But I don't know. I can't remember if he controlled for other types of therapy that people used or if it was just general therapy or what. So I don't know how useful it is. And uh, coldly analytical is not effective, apparently. But again, there are so many factors that go on here, and he freely acknowledges it. There are so many factors, and we are so, so far from being able to actually understand human psychology that it's really difficult to actually say there are conclusions being drawn. And then he goes in a, he wants to apply it to education, no grades, no degrees. He wants to base conditions of learning in his therapy and use those when it comes to conditions of learning for students, you know, in school. But again, he says, this is theory, this isn't fact, this isn't established, this is what I'm offering. So keep in mind, the therapist must be a unified, unified person, they have to be congruent, no facade. So the therapist means what they say and expresses their feelings, so it's all out in the open. Again, unconditional positive regard, and it's, the idea is, I care, not I care if you behave thus and so. Sounds like a, a girlfriend I recently had, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he says there's just there's too much conformity when it comes to education. They need more creativity, whatever that means. Like we have to have a, a bunch of hippies water painting or whatever. And again, offers that studies are studies are inadequate in this area to really fully establish any of this stuff. But he's he's offering his ideas. Then he talks about diving into the brave new world of behavioral science and how difficult it's going to be. He brings up Skinner. Skinner challenges. Um, he says that positive reinforcement is more useful than negative reinforcement, but attacks the idea of free will. Says that people are shaped externally, and the task of science in general is to make men productive. So this is kind of a shaping of what society looks like through science. The author, however, rejects this and says that people are responsibly free or can be responsibly free. And it's impossible to believe what Skinner believes. This is an area in Challenging Skinner where he exhibits all sorts of bias. But he says it's just a priori impossible to believe what Skinner believes because of what he thinks about humanity. And that if conditioning is the future, then uh, he wants none of it. Now... I mean, to some degree, I'm 100% with him on this one. The government nor scientists should be conditioning people. We should have as much freedom as we can and allow people to do whatever they're going to do. But that's a, a political question as opposed to a scientific one. And so he challenges this by asking if there's a flaw. He says that you have different goals with science and that the goal of trying to make everybody productive is one that you cho chose ahead of time. So you can choose a different goal. You can choose a goal of having a good life as defined by Rogers and make sure that your science or your government or whatever is heading in that direction as opposed to the direction that Skinner is trying to head now. 
all of this discussion when it comes to this and everything that he's trying to accomplish, Rogers, about man being a process, achieving worth and dignity, being self-directed and how self-directed isn't going to lead to chaos and having variation and freedom, whatever this kind of freedom means, and creativity and being able to self-actualize the process of becoming and discover better means of achieving that becoming. I mean, all this stuff, you, you put it together. There are so many philosophical issues and definitional issues when it comes to deciding this stuff. Obviously, there's no such thing as free will. Uh, it's a ridiculous concept when it comes philosophically or scientifically. But the reality is uh, he just says, okay, there's a special point in time where you get to choose, irrespective of, you know, the scientific determinism, you get to choose which one you're going to emphasize. Obviously, there's not a point in time where you get to do that. But these are, I mean, these are so complex that it's really difficult to actually talk about any of this stuff <laughs> in this particular forum. This is, again, there should be a book on each one of the words that he use, uses to, to really try to understand where we are on each of these. Or I should have a podcast on each one of these words so we could really understand where we're coming from in trying to define them and see how they apply to this particular topic. But anyway, so that's that's most of the book. Like I said, it was better. I, I really appreciate it when, and it's mostly scientists that are willing to do this, when they show humility about, okay, this is what we know and this is what we don't know. This is where we th I think we need to look harder. This is my theory and I'm just laying out a theory. I'm I'm not trying to say that this is 100% correct. I'm just laying it out. I mean, he hit things pretty hard when it come to, came to policy, you know, when it came to education. And I think over time, I mean, if it was late 80s, early to mid 90s, I think a lot of this stuff got implemented. I mean, my former paramour, a teacher, explicitly talked about how this is kind of more of the method of teaching. And I talked to a, a psychologist recently, too, and she said that it was more about this kind of method. And it explains it why we have the kind of people that we have now. <laughs> I mean, the generation that we have now thinks that everything they think is necessarily true, that they're so amazing. They got that unconditional positive regard from everybody, and they didn't get stratified or put into hierarchies where some people are better than others when it comes to, you know, different tasks. So they, they just think they're so awesome and got it all figured out, and now they're out on streets with no knowledge about anything, pretending that they have all the answers. So I, <laughs> obviously that's a pretty broad theory for me to have, but uh, I think it's, if you really went down into it, I think it's really correct. The bigger idea, just to move, I mean, my analysis I kind of did throughout, and I'll move into big picture just because I want to get into this, and I want to keep this kind of short. The bigger idea here that we have to be careful about that I think has been eroding over time and is what's most at risk is the concept of meritocracy, the concept of giving more to people who are going to be able to do better with that thing. So this idea specifically challenges the idea that there is a meritocracy, that somebody who has more knowledge or is better at something has a, a more important place when it comes to being the arbiter of that, that knowledge. Now, when it comes to hippie psychology stuff, you know, maybe that, <laughs> that doesn't matter so much who's leading the charge. But when it comes to very, sp and to give him some credit here, he does go and talk about, you know, merit and ability and stuff at a certain point in a very limited section, but he acknowledges it and says that you still need, you know, when it comes to mathematics or something, you still need some kind of merit there. But I think that this, this kind of an idea insinuating itself into educational circles is really eroding the ideas of meritocracy and that some people are better at things than some other people and that you have to earn your way in a discipline to be able to get a voice in that discipline. 
And, and that's a much more efficient way of being able to disseminate knowledge and figure out what's true and all that stuff. I think that idea is really under siege right now. I mean, it's not just a big part of it is just is a lot of the, you know, leftist emphasis on whatever your identity is. And that gives you some worth or detriment based on the, the identity. But even more than that, just this unconditional positive regard that just says that, okay, you've arrived, you've accomplished everything that you need to accomplish just by getting here. That's not an efficient way to create people who are going to be inclined to better themselves. They're absolutely not going to be. They're not going to be inclined to work hard or be challenged or anything like that. They're going to be inclined to receive everything that they want without having done anything for it. So I think this is one of the most dangerous things when it comes to the erosion of everything that made the country great and everything that made Western civilization possible. So hopefully we can shake this off once we have a we realize when people stop getting into positions because of merit and things start functioning far worse than than they used to function. I think we're going to have to get to a point where we realize, okay, well, maybe we were we were kind of wrong about that, about giving everybody a participation trophy and making the best of us hide all of their all of their accolades so it doesn't hurt other people's feelings. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we'll just we'll cut it off there. There's a lot of information going on there. I think I'm going to start doing actually, and I might have to put most of these just on YouTube or something because they're going to get long and I only have so much space that I can you know use every month when it comes to episodes. But I think I'm just going to do sections about different topics and really dive into them rather than going based on a book so we can just get it all laid out and we can have a great framework for actually discussing these topics and figure out what's what's true, what's best, and how to demonstrate that you're way smarter than everybody else. So, so we'll, we'll get that going. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed just talking about this book in general. And we've got more books coming up. Hope all is well. I'll see you on the next one. All right, bye. <laughs>